welcome to Less Than or Equal, the podcast about pursuing equality in geekdom by celebrating the diverse in their accomplishments. I'm your host, Aline Sims, and today I am joined at long last by Neem Sarah. Neem, welcome. Thank you. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Neem, who are you? I, I'm i good. Just tired from all this daylight saving stuff. Yeah. Um, I totally understand. In Arizona, we don't change time. Um, really? Yeah. For There's a corner of the state that does, but for the most part, we don't. And Dude, so, that's awesome. Yeah, it, it, it is, except for when it comes to meetings, because I I work kind of globally. Oh, sure. Okay. And so, so everybody else is, like, my internal clock of, like, my regular meetings is off by an hour, because I'm like, oh, meetings at 10 today. No, it's at 11. Um, <laughs> But you but know, I, I think I would handle that better than it being dark when I come home. Yeah, there, there is that. Yeah, so I don't know. There's, there's a trade off, but yeah, I, I sure. like not adjusting to time changes. So, um, so who are you? So I'm a iOS and Ruby developer in St. Louis, Missouri, and I work for a company called Asynchrony. They're a consulting company, so you get to work on a whole bunch of different projects. And I've only been in programming for about two and a half years now. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was in grad school before that. And I wasn't entirely thrilled with grad school. So I got my master's in biology and I was in a PhD program. I wanted to do more programming and my graduate studies weren't kind of going that direction. So my best friend at the time told me that I should quit and do what I wanted and that he would help me learn how to program. And I kind of dropped everything and I moved from Michigan to St. Louis a little bit on a whim. Wow. And it worked out. A month later I had an interview and I got a job. So where did where did you start? How what what language did you start with or what concepts did you start with? So I guess when I was an undergrad, I got very lucky in that I worked in a research lab that was half biology and half computer science. So all of my lab meetings were talking about biology and then other people, other computer science graduate students were talking about what they were doing in Python. So I kind of picked up some Python stuff here and there and I took this workshop called Software Carpentry, which is a nonprofit that uh, goes to different graduate schools and different research institutes and tries to teach scientists good computer science basics and good programming basics. Um, And so I was going to take the class and my research advisor at the time was teaching it and he just kind of made me a teaching assistant and told me to just learn things a couple seconds before everyone else. Oh, no pressure. (laughs) And so after, I really, I loved that experience. And after that, I kind of dabbled around with programming a little bit, but I never really kind of full-fledged, like, jumped into it. So when I decided that, I, I took a class or two in undergrad in uh, in different programming languages, but I never really, you know, fully committed. And finally, when I did, it just really worked out. I think that that's a really interesting journey in um as a person who doesn't do super well with change, I'm, I, it sounds terrifying to me. <laughs> it, it honestly was very terrifying because I could have just not had a job. Like the whole idea of just, I moved to a new city and, you know, moved in with my best friend and was hoping that it'd be okay and hoping that I would get a job and not run out of money was 
absolutely terrifying. And quitting grad school was terrifying because it felt like all of the people who are close to me really wanted me to, you know, get a PhD and really invested a lot of time and effort. And I felt like I was disappointing them by doing something else. And I really questioned, like, did I really want this? Uh, Was it worth quitting and, like, you know, I, I guess hurting other people's feelings at the time? So I think that part was the most terrifying for me of just, it felt like I I had to trust myself that this is what I wanted. And instead of just living life, like fulfilling other people's expectations. Wow, but it's worked out. Oh, yeah, I know. It's definitely worked out. And that friend that convinced me to quit is now my fiance. So oh, congratulations. it's especially worked out. So did you start with Objective-C, um, since you do Ruby and iOS development now, um, did you start with Objective-C and are you moving into Swift now? Or did you start more on the website? Um, I started with Objective-C. So when I got the job, they put me on a team that you know did all iOS development. And so I started with that. And then um, since I work for a consulting company, they haven't really moved to Swift because you'd have to learn a lot of that on your own time and you can't really charge a client for, you know, trying out a new language and seeing if things work with the same, you know, things that we use internally. So I haven't really gotten to do that much Swift. And ever since it got to be a bigger thing, I moved to more Ruby projects. Oh, okay. It, it's interesting to me to talk to to iOS developers because I know that you know, some of my friends have really embraced Swift and some people are very, very anti-Swift and, um, you know, like, um, I'll throw my husband under the bus. He really, really likes Objective-C and he's really struggling with Swift. (laughs) And, you know, he's like, I like, I I like the verbosity of Objective-C. I like that, you know, it's, you know, it's very specific and Swift is more general and, and he's, he's really not on, on board the Swift train yet. Um, No, I'm like, I'm completely with him. I'm just so, I guess it's partly like, it's hard for me to change because I'm so used to some of the things and Swift feels so different to me. So I'm with him. So I'm like nervous about going back to an iOS team like, what if we have to use Swift and I, I haven't been doing it in my spare time, so who knows what will happen? It'll be an adventure. <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's going to be interesting to see where Swift goes over the next few years. You know, it's already so different in, yeah. you know, a year and a half, not even. So, so um, one of the things I was really excited to talk to you about um before a couple of days ago. Um, so we have a mutual friend, Yasmin Evian, who was on the show recently. And um, she was talking about how she got to meet you at Google I.O. And then um, kind of in between, as I was waiting for the interview date to approach, you got to go to Grace Hopper as well. Yeah. So you've had, um, you've had some convention adventures this year too. So I was hoping we could talk about some of that a little bit. Yeah, definitely. I I feel super lucky to have gotten to go to all of them. So I think last year I got to go to WWDC. I worked at a different company. And so they, when I got the ticket, they paid for me to go and it was awesome. And I was very lucky. And then this year I, um, I've always been on the sisters mailing list. 
And I've always found it very useful just to hear all the different perspectives of different women and talking about tech and talking about different news articles and whatever. And they had an email about, hey, you could try to see if you'll get a scholarship to go to Google I.O. And I applied, didn't think it would work out. And at the very last minute, I got one. So I got to go to Google I.O. And the same thing happened with Grace Hopper. And so I applied and they had somebody cancel at the last minute. And so that was another like last minute I got to go to Grace Hopper. So I was very excited about that. Um, and both were through women tech makers from Google. So I'm just like ever grateful towards them because I felt like both conferences kind of changed my life and kind of reinvigorated me towards being in the tech scene and working on like programming projects in general. So, so that was pretty cool. That, that's amazing. Um, so as someone who develops for iOS and less on kind of the Android side, um, what was what was going to I.O. like for you? So going to I.O. was so interesting. So I'm actually, I'm probably a big iOS person just because I love making iOS apps and I have an iPhone and, you know, I have a Mac and my fiance is actually a big Android person. And I've always liked the Google ecosystem. I've liked a lot of the things that they've done with it, like helping other people. And so going to Google I.O., I was really excited to just see like what what it's like compared to WWDC. And I really liked it better, which is like a weird thing to say because everyone's like, well, you're an Apple person. You should like WWDC better. But I loved Google I.O. It was just it the focus was more on inspiring you to change the world in a better way. It wasn't, the focus wasn't, I want you to make, like, I don't want, I guess WWDC felt like it was a way to get into making an app that would make you a lot of money really fast. Mm -hmm. And I felt like Google IO was like, these are really cool things that everyday people did to change the world. You can do that too. Here are things in other countries that we're trying to do to make it like more accessible and make the world a better place. Here's how you can help. And I just, I came out of that conference feeling so inspired to do something useful, I guess. That's one thing I really admire about Google is, you know, as I've talked about before and talked about on the episode with Yasmin is diversity there is um, much better than it is kind of in the the spheres I occupy, but also, you know, these kinds of initiatives for, you know, providing, providing tech to underprivileged communities and countries and, um, like having a meaningful impact on the world. Whereas, you know, you watch, uh, you watch WWDC and it's about like the new $1,500 watch or whatever. Um, (laughs) And the new Apple pencil and all those things. The the $99 stylus. And yeah. Yeah. And, um, and as much as I love those things and I love being a part of this ecosystem, um, I really have a lot of respect for, for Google and, um, you know, Android for, you know, trying to, to bridge a gap, I guess. Yeah, definitely agreed. I, I just love the, how they kind of put a big awareness to the developers of like, this is what it's like when you're in a different country and your internet connection sucks. We're trying to make it so you don't have to, you know, change your website's infrastructure 
to make it better for these people who have bad internet access. But just so you're aware, this is a thing. And that's something I completely forgot about. Like mm. in my mind, everyone has awesome internet and can see my website and, can, you know, consume all of this data. So I was, I was very appreciative that they put that kind of accessibility to the forefront. What else did you learn or, or what else made you think while you were there? Um, I, so WWDC was a week-long event where there were probably like eight technical, like hardcore technical topics all at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so you're kind of rushing to go in between each of these. And then, and I guess they were very like deep, and you had to have all of this previous knowledge to kind of really understand a lot of the stuff. Yeah, they're so very the, technical. Yeah, it's super technical. And I and it was good because I was an iOS developer and I understood a lot of it, but I had met somebody who didn't really understand a lot of it and she was kind of frustrated. She spent a lot of money like on this conference. And then another guy that I met uh, didn't really understand English that well and was having a hard time like keeping up with all the things that they're talking really fast and whatever. And then on the opposite side at Google IO, I felt like all of the talks were just very well paced and, you know, kind of inspiring and big picture and tried to be at different levels for different people. So everyone kind of, you know, got something out of the conference and didn't leave feeling like they're in over their heads or whatever. Um, and so I, I like that a lot. I think the third floor was very interactive of the third floor of the convention center was just very interactive of like, they had all the different projects that they had and you can actually go and try it out and like have different sessions on like Google cardboard, or they had this Nerf gun thing with a phone mounted on it that you could like pretend that you were shooting aliens or whatever. And that was really cool because I actually got to touch a product and I still like that tactile feel of things and like moving around. So that Mm -hmm. engaged me more than sitting in, you know, endless hours of technical talks. Yeah, definitely. I've also heard that the diversity of the people attending is better than (laughs) WWDC. Uh, so, so So when I went to WWDC... I had a, I felt like I had a very ridiculous experience um, where I stood in line to get into the keynote mm. at 3 a.m. Oh, and gosh. I stood in line with uh, a coworker and a friend of mine. And we were there, you know, at 3 a.m. for this keynote. And it was crazy and it was cold and I was tired. And people kept asking me if I was a reporter or if I was really a programmer, if I was really in a technical role. And this guy just started quizzing me. He was like, oh, well, do you know this? Do you know this? And that was off-putting because, you know, I was there at 3 a.m. Like, why would I be there at 3 a.m. unless I really cared about something? Right. And, uh, and that whole, like, just getting into the keynote was crazy because there were, like, people running up escalators. So I didn't feel mm-hmm. like it was accessible towards everyone, like all sorts of things. So, so there's that, but also the diversity sucked. Mm. I think uh, they never really released uh, numbers on attendees, but I felt like I just never really saw any other women. And uh, after the keynote, I got followed around by this guy with a video camera who was just like, well, I mean, you wait. I was like, why are you like, you know, 
videotaping me. Mm-hmm. And he was like, you waved your rights to video and photographs, and there aren't that many women here. And I was just like, oh, cool. I'm wow. exhausted. I just want to leave. Like, And that was my like first first day, first couple hours, and it was just – it was really depressing for me because I felt like there were more Apple employees that were women than there were attendees at the conference. And I know that they've in the past year or two, like they've really tried to beef it up and actually, you know, do a lot more diversity initiatives, get a lot more um, different diversity groups to get scholarships to come. But that year was just hard because people asked me out. People asked me if I was in a non-technical role like, and I just felt like I was on the defensive, like I needed to, you know, uh, give reasons why I got to go to this conference. And so on the flip side for Google I.O., uh, the very first night we got to go to this dinner with women tech makers to have dinner and meet all the other women. And we were all put on a Slack group together. And so I felt like I had a whole bunch of friends that I can go and hang out with. Um, and meet people and actually talk to people. And I don't think I really met that many people at WWDC other than some of the uh, meetups that I went to specifically for women. That's how I met people. I didn't really talk to anyone at the conference itself because there weren't that many people there. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I so I actually was a, a scholarship recipient um, this year. Okay, Um cool. So, yeah, thank you. Um, so... Um, I was impressed because I remember I was standing in the keynote line and I literally did like at one point it stopped because it's, it's, it's like rush hour traffic. It like starts and stops and starts <laughs> yeah. and stops. And so at one point, like we were, I don't know, probably 10 people wide in these, you know, the hallways are really wide there. And it was like a line, 10 people across. And then, you know, as far forward and back as you could see. And, um, so we were stopped and I turned in a circle and I was really excited because I saw like two women when I did this like 360 yeah. degree circle around. And um, yeah, it's I mean, I think it's better than it has been. And and my female friends who have attended in the past are like, yes, this year was significantly <laughs> better than it was in the past. I mean, it's still has a really, really long way to go. And, you know, if people are having if women are having experiences like that where you know, they're being followed around because they're one of the few women there to get on tape. That's awful. It's just awful. It was bizarre to me. And, and even like outside, they have all the reporters and they were like, Oh, we like to talk to you about diversity. I'm like, I really don't want to. I, I really like after that keynote, I went back to my hotel. I felt so bad for this because, you know, it was a lot of money to go to this conference in the first place. And I just, I broke down from all the stress. I was like, I'm so exhausted from having to spend, you know, stay outside for a long time, but also just defend myself on why I needed to be there. Mm -hmm. And then have this happen, like, I'm good. The rest of the conference was a lot better after that, but that's not a great way to start a conference ever. Yeah, so... I have a lot of um, a lot of my listeners are actually Apple developers and they do try to go to WWDC. So for those of you listening who are like in that 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 group of people and you understand, you know, you hear stories like memes and you see something happening, please, please call people out on it. And like, you know, yeah, definitely make it stop because, um, you know, that's that's not a good way to feel. That's 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 bad. It's so bad. So 
Um, let's talk about Grace Hopper, though, because that is a conference that I really, really want to go to. Um, it sounds so interesting. What is it like to attend? Oh, you should definitely go. So this is the second time I've been to Grace Hopper. The first time I went when I was in graduate school and I was on more of the recruiting side for grad school. So I wasn't really, I, I keep saying this, but it sounds wrong. Like I wasn't really as technical as I am now. Mm-hmm. I was, you know, a biology grad student going to a computer science conference. So there was a little bit of weirdness there, but it was part of the reason why I really wanted to go into programming. And I had a great time then. And it was, I think I, there were 12,000 attendees this time. And I think there was like four or 5,000 when I went. So, so it's grown a lot. Um, and the conference was sold out, but the conference itself is amazing. It's just, it's awesome. You go and it, the whole town, I mean, even when you get off your airplane, the whole town is just flooded with women who are going to this conference and you're meeting people on the line for the taxi um, who want to share a ride to the convention center or whatever. So it was, it was awesome. I met so many people and it's really well done. I feel like they uh, tried to get as many diverse opinions as they could And I know there's been a lot of controversy about the conference because last year they had a male allies panel that had some, uh, I don't know, not the greatest advice in the world. Um, And so I think they had one person from that panel come back, the CEO of GoDaddy, who his talk was not my favorite talk in the world, but, but I think... There's a big effort for that company in particular to try to overcome their uh, sexualization of women in their ads. The hole they dug for themselves. Uh, yeah, they're they're trying. It's it's a work in progress. I hear people who work there really like it. So I don't have any, I'm trying to give them a chance. How about that? (laughs) Well, I actually have a friend who's a systems administrator there and she really, really, really likes working for GoDaddy. That's awesome. Yeah. So I, and that's kind of helped me change my view a little. Like before I got, you know, I was really bristly about GoDaddy because it's like, "Eh," you know, and, and now it's like, okay, well, I, I know someone who works there and she's not, you know, she, She's a reasonable person. She's not, you know, bizarre in any way, you know, except the cool <laughs> ones. And, yeah. you know, and, and so, like, I, I trust that she knows a good work environment for her. Um, but, yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm with you. So that was probably the only keynote that I wasn't thrilled about. But they had amazing speakers for all of the keynotes. And I felt like a lot of their messages really resonated with other people and kind of inspired people. So they had the CTO of the United States, which I had no idea there was a CTO of the United Mm, States. Recent, right? Right. So I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. She is so awesome. And she was one of my favorite people because she didn't speak the whole time. She brought up her team and had highlighted all these things that different like people, different teams did and had them speak for themselves. And I just thought that was really awesome because she could have, you know, spoke about all these different projects and done it all herself. But she really wanted to say, uh, show just all of these awesome women and all the awesome things that they did. So 
So I absolutely loved that. And she was awesome. And they they had Chelsea Clinton do a talk um, on a panel with Jack Dorsey from Twitter's and Square and the diversity director of Facebook, Maxine Williams. And Chelsea Clinton, I also had no idea that she was this awesome, but she had all these awesome statistics and anything that anyone ever like talked about, she would follow up with a statistic and a good suggestion on how to change things. Oh, wow. And so I, I thought it was kind of an interesting dynamic between her and Jack Dorsey because he would talk about how, you know, Twitter and Square, like trying to be more diverse and all the things. And she'd be like, okay, well, you could try this. And actually the statistics are this. And she just did it in a very like classy way that she's my hero right now. That's really cool to hear. Uh, she and I are, I think she's a couple of years older than I am. So when Bill Clinton was in office, um, you know, we got like weekly readers or something at school and like often they highlighted Chelsea Clinton and, you know, so my knowledge of her is all based on, you know, when we were children Um, and I haven't really kept up with, with what she's done as an adult. So it's really cool to hear that she's, um, I don't know, working toward changing the world too. Yeah. She's just like so inspiring about getting, more diversity in general in the tech field, not just specifically women. Like she wanted everyone and between her and the diversity director of Facebook, they talked about how this conference was really good about talking about women in tech, but we needed to remember all sets of diversity, Mm -hmm. especially like socioeconomic status. And I thought that was so, so, so important because people forget they're like oh hey yeah this you know diverse person is from you know same middle class upper to middle class whatever they went to the same schools as me you know I like them and they forget how hard it is to come from a different background especially if you don't make a lot of money or you go to a really bad school or you grow up in a really bad neighborhood and so they talked a lot about making sure that you remember that like these are your neighbors they live in your community and you, you can't just only talk about the people who are nearest and dearest to you and try to get them uh, better positions. You need to help the entire community. So I thought that was really good and inspiring. That's so cool. Um, that, that's one thing I think I fail at is um, talking about socioeconomic things. Um, I mean, it's come up a couple of times, but um, uh, I'm, I'm, I need to be better than I am. I think it's a really hard one because we don't, people don't really like talking about it. Even now, like, I feel ashamed if I talk about growing up, you know, not middle class or whatever. Like, it's a very hard thing to say, like, oh, that's cool that you guys got all these presents at Christmas time or whatever. When I had a holiday, we went to the dollar store and we were, you know, excited to pick out one thing that was, you know, a dollar. And, and it feels weird. And I have a hard time, like, thinking about what I would say to myself as a child. Like, you know, just knowing where I c- came from. And then I feel like I kind of turned my back on it. Uh, so it's just like a weird thing. Like, I can't even reconcile it within myself. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to go out and and try to help other people of different statuses, mm-hmm. too. Yeah. And... and- 
it's also kind of a hard problem to solve, right? Like, um, because I, I grew up poor, I grew up in a poor community, you know, there aren't a lot of people with money in the area where I grew up and, um, and I don't even go home that often, you know, I just, I don't, for a variety of reasons, I don't like being in that situation again, but it's also like, you know, I'm involved with app camp for girls. And something I've thought about is, um, girls in the eighth and ninth grade, teaching them how to code is like, okay, well, so could I take this home? Like, could I do a program in the town I grew up in? Um, how would that work? What would that look like? Would that be beneficial? Could I even get interest to bring it there? And, um, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it just, it's so weird because I want to make programs that would be accessible to my younger self. So when I was uh, teaching some classes for some nonprofits and they were like, oh, hey, we should start charging for this class. And if you really need a scholarship, you have to ask for one. And I was like, look, I, I know that me as a teenager would never even try to apply. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I'm so ashamed that I can't afford, you know, whatever, a $10 class fee that I would never apply. And they were like, well, you should if you if you care about your future. And I'm like, it's not that. You just grow up feeling the shame and you telling me that, like, not ever experiencing that doesn't make me feel better. I know that I just wouldn't, mm-hmm. like, and I know there are other people who wouldn't either. And even... In addition to that, not not even thinking that those types of things are for you, you know, like right, exactly. And I think that's the thing with conferences that I've like kind of gotten over. Somebody told me that it was like, you know, they make these scholarships for people like you, and there's nothing wrong if you apply and get them. You're helping yourself. Why wouldn't you help yourself? Like they want you there, and you're not, you know, like you're not cheating by getting a scholarship to go to a conference you're doing the thing that will help you and help other people who are like you in the future but it's hard and it was hard getting other friends of mine who are also in tech to apply for these scholarships because they're like well I mean I should get it like I didn't do anything to deserve it Mm -hmm. or anything I'm like no I mean other people don't either like I've been, uh, like, I worked at a company that gave out whatever, you know, conferences. I don't think anyone deserved it more or less than you. So, you know, you should just kind of go for it. But but it's definitely hard to to do on your own, especially if you don't have a mentor to kind of, like, guide you and tell you, hey, it's okay. Like, this is what, what it's there for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I don't know what to do about that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's. It's weird. So, so I've been volunteering a lot with the Roy Clay Senior Tech Impact Group mm-hmm. in St. Louis. So it started after uh, after Darren Wilson, police officer in Ferguson, shot Michael Brown, and there were a lot of protests. And one of the things that came out of it was people decided that they really wanted to, you know, not just protest or not just do social media and say like. They want to change something, but actually go into the community and figure out how they can help the community bring up itself. And so um, they made this program to kind of get youth from the St. Louis area, specifically in Ferguson, but around the St. Louis area to make 
websites for uh, businesses in Ferguson and you just kind of learn these tech skills and help each other in the community learn these tech skills while learning about like different social justice issues and um, just kind of come together as a community. And so I missed the first round of workshops. I think it was a six to eight week long class, but I got in on the second one and it was absolutely awesome. Like one of my favorite volunteering experiences ever. Just you had a bunch of students who really wanted to learn, but didn't really have all the resources necessary. And then a whole bunch of volunteers who, you know, do this for a living and want to help people. And it was just a very interesting interaction of like, people who who had forgotten what it's like to be so privileged mm -hmm. talking to people who wanted to learn and wanted all this experience but would have never met these people normally mm -hmm. and and I think it, it helped both sides out a lot because a lot of people would say just very like interesting things like oh well if you if they don't let you dress in you know whatever you want, you should just go and get another job. And they're saying this to like a group of people, like where some of them were like literally wearing uniforms from their, like whatever job that they had. Mm -hmm. And they're like, um, you know, I can't just quit my job. Like I have, like I have my mom to support and I have this to support. Like we're not that privileged. Sure. It works for you. And just having people kind of have to sit there and think about it and be like, Oh, like my worldview is not the same as yours. Mm -hmm. It reminds me of um, who's the guy who writes Dilbert Scott oh, something a while yeah. back was like, well, if you don't like the community you're in, just move. Right. And I was like, you don't understand the logistics of moving at all, let alone moving if you do not have money. Right. I just like, ah, it was, it's things like that. And like some of the students in my class would, I didn't realize this until like in the middle uh, and people were getting frustrated that they were late and they were like, well, I had to walk three miles to get here. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, I never crossed my mind that you would not have a car. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just things like that. And somebody's like, why don't you just buy a car? Like, come on. And they're like, um, sure you can afford a car but if you are you know in high school and working two jobs to just like live I don't think you can afford a car so it's just things like that where I'm like oh like I didn't even think about this and other people you know didn't think about it but instead got angry like well I have this thing why don't you have this thing and why are you you know not caring as much and it's like no they care there are just circumstances around like doing things and living that are just different. Yeah. Yeah. So you also want to be involved with helping um, older populations learn how to use technology? Yeah, I, it was, it's something that I've seen a lot. Like I've always been the person that's helped other people learn how to use their iPhone or iPad or computer or whatever. And I've seen a lot of people kind of get taken advantage of. Like I had a family member who went into the Apple store because they wanted to buy the Facebook. Like they didn't understand what the Facebook was like in there. They had gone to bookstores trying to buy the Facebook because all the young people were talking about it. Um. And they went to the Apple store and came out of the Apple store with a brand new MacBook Pro <gasps> and an iPhone and an iPad. And it was 
it was like that story just broke my heart, right? Where you you don't really know what you want, you don't really understand it, but you know that you want to connect with people. Mm-hmm. And and so that that happened and I was like horrified. It happened a couple of years ago and I was really sad about it. And then um and then talking to my grandparents, they they buy a new computer or a new laptop every couple of years because they don't entirely understand that they have to plug in their laptop to charge it all the time. Or if it's not working, you know, it's probably because the battery's dead, things like that. Mm -hmm. And, and I was just like watching all these things and I'm like, this is awful. And hearing about other classes that people were like trying to teach, like, Oh, you need the state of the art, whatever to get on this. And so you could see your grandchildren, you need to buy into this, like this expensive app to do this. And it, it's not true. And it drives me crazy because I know the accessibility around, I really care about making apps accessible. Mm-hmm. So when I was working on iOS projects, I cared about the accessibility side a lot. And so I know all about the accessibility and all about these things that would be helpful. And and I can't even get that far because people are just like, oh, I don't know how to use it. And I tried to ask you know, whatever younger family member, and they got very frustrated. I was an embarrassing experience. And I'm, you know, I feel guilty that I'm taking their time, all of those things. And it's just, it's so heartbreaking to me, because I'm like, it shouldn't be this hard. Mm. You know, like, there's a lot that you can learn from other people. And, and so when I, when I was trying to help out some people, uh, I was kind of like, oh, you know, I have the patience that goes on forever and I would love to teach a class like this. And I would love to like, you know, help people out, especially because it's, I guess it's a really popular gift to give like everyone an iPhone or an iPad mm-hmm. or, you know, a MacBook and not everyone knows how to use it. So, And you'll love it because we can FaceTime and... <laughs> and it's just, it's just like... There are simple things where I was helping my future mother-in-law like upgrade to iOS 9. And one of the reasons they weren't really sure, like she and her husband weren't really sure about it was because they had to accept this 47 page long, like terms and conditions for right. iTunes. And they would never be able to read that. I mean, I never read no, that. I, know. I don't yeah. know who reads that. I should, but I don't. <laughs> and so I was just like, you know, I'm like, oh, okay, here, let me help you. And I just accepted it. And it was just like this look of horror, like, you didn't read it. Like, what did you just do to my iPad? And I was like, oh, well, <laughs> I'm sure it's fine. But it's things like that where I'm like, I never think twice about this. Mm-hmm. And I like, I feel for you that you're like, oh, I'm not sure. Like, I hear about people getting taken advantage of. And I don't want to be like, you know, I don't want to be dumb enough or made fun of or whatever. And like, do something like that. So I'm going to be extra cautious. It's just like, there's a whole range of it. And I just, I want to make it easy for people. And I want to be like, hey, I do this all the time. This is like a second nature to me. Let me teach you the stuff that is distilled down enough to start you to be able to communicate with the people you want to communicate with. Mm -hmm. Because that's what it really boils down to. Like, I know most people want to be able to see their family and friends and share experiences. I don't think everyone in the world wants to, you know, buy the most popular app and make millions off whatever app or whatever. Like, that's not the reason people are getting these things. They just want to communicate and have shared experiences. And if I can help a 
anyone do that, I would be perfectly fine. So, and, and after that, I saw the trailer for this documentary called Cyber Seniors, which um, is this program that pairs youth with people in um, senior centers to kind of just teach them like, hey, this is the internet. Hey, let's make a Facebook account today. Mm -hmm. Oh, let's try to get you in a YouTube video. Let's see who gets the most like comments and likes and whatever. And it was awesome. And I nearly cried at the end. I'm really excited to watch this documentary. And I want to either join a program that's like that in my area and help out people in my area, or I want to start something up that's very similar and just go with it. I love it because, you know, my interactions with, you know, people in their 60s or 70s, you know, trying to trying to set up Touch ID on um, on an iOS device. Yeah. It was really hard. Like I've tried to do it once and it was like they kept <laughs> pressing the home button. I was like, no, don't don't press it you just kind of touch it and they're like I am touching it and I'm like no you don't want to put any pressure you know and just you know just that kind of thing can get I think really frustrating for people because then the phone's like you're doing it wrong and they don't understand how they're doing it wrong and you know just setting up a new iOS device uh, is I just did this like a month ago is um, extremely frustrating there are a lot of screens and then you're yeah. greeted with this grid of squares and you're like, okay, what do I do with this? And, you know, forget computers and, and, and things that are in my mind more complex, you know, just, just getting someone rolling with a phone or a tablet can be really, really complicated. Yeah, definitely. And it's actually like my favorite is viewing somebody who's like two or three years old trying to explain it to somebody else and I just love how like how they're like well I don't really know why you click this button but this is a button you have to click right you know and you're just like you're you're like oh like I wish I could just make all classes for people like a three-year-old explaining it (laughs) because this is awesome and sometimes I don't really know why I'm clicking this button but I just do and there's no good explanation behind it it's probably bad UX but whatever (laughs) Well, and ultimately, you know, it, it matters. I mean, I'm not saying it doesn't matter, but but the thing is people people should know how to do what they want to do and not have to think about why the thing happens. Does that make sense? Right, right, yeah. No, I definitely agree with that. And it just, yeah, it's interesting because I feel like I teach a lot of people how to use their iPad and then they'll have these like extensive, extensive handwritten notes on it. And it's just like, it feels so like my brain can't wrap my, you know, I just have a hard time thinking about it because it's like, oh, there's this cool piece of technology and then somebody handwriting notes and Mm -hmm. drawing, you know, each of the buttons and which ones to click and trying to describe like pressure that they need to put on a one to 10 scale and all of these things. And it's interesting, but like, I, I wish that there was a better way to explain it. I don't know. Well, I'm excited to see what you do. Yeah. Thanks. I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. I, I contacted a couple of senior centers in my area. I look like I actually had no idea. I lived like a couple blocks away from a couple. Oh, okay. so, so that's pretty cool. Um, I talked to somebody who, who decided that they really wanted to have a computer lab. So 
so we're still talking about like cool things that they can do and how I can help out. So I'm hoping it'll go well. That's really exciting. Yeah, I'm super excited about it. Like, I I feel like I'm, you know, okay with my job right now, but I'm way, way excited about this. (laughs) You sound, you sound very happy. (laughs) So we're not quite at an hour yet, but um, we kind of covered everything that we discussed talking about. Was there anything else you wanted to talk about today? Um, let's see. So I started interviewing people today at work and that was a very interesting experience. And so I kind of want to just discuss it with someone of, I interviewed somebody for an intern position, uh, with another female and I was asking, you know, random technical questions, but I never actually came out and said that I was a developer. So it was interesting to me how this person had responded to questions, like kind of explaining the question back to me, like, oh, here is the technical context that you should probably know about this question you're asking. Um, Like, oh, you asked about Git. Did you know that it's version control? I'm like, yes, I did know that. That's probably why I asked. As luck would have it. Yeah, interesting. Interesting that you are telling me that. But I... I'm still trying to struggle between what do you do? And I, I talked to some other uh, female developers who've had similar issues and they just said that they came out and said, okay, so I'm a developer too. And let's actually talk about the nuts and bolts of it. But I'm still trying to find something that works for me. Um, because I don't, I don't know. Do you, do you re-level set and tell them that you're a developer? Do you just let it go on and see how much they could put their foot in their mouth. I don't know. <laughs> well, I guess my question would be, how did you feel as that was happening? Uh, it felt very awkward. It felt like uh, I like was mildly annoyed and kind of angry because I was like, oh, this is kind of a waste of my time. Like, I know I'm asking you these questions. I, I want to learn more about you. I don't want somebody to explain something back to me. Uh, not, I guess not explain something back to me, like explain what my question is to me, mm-hmm. um, because I know what it is, kind of. So I, I don't actually have that much interviewing experience, but it was, it was interesting. I wish I could like, I really wanted to tell the person afterwards, like, oh, hey, by the way, you might want to adjust like how you talk to people and, and try to find that good middle ground of answering things but I'm not really sure well it's interesting it tells you a lot about them right you know (laughs) is this a person that you would want to work with you know if they make an assumption that just because you're whatever you don't fit into whatever their notion of a of a developer is that you don't know what they're talking about so I think I'm just overly optimistic that people can change when Mm -hmm. you when you give them advice and mostly this is from uh, I've had a lot of bad experiences. I've had a lot of weird experiences, but but uh, the more time I've been doing this, the more and more people come to me and like apologize and say, "Oh, hey, by the way, I realized that you know yesterday or a couple months ago or a year ago, I said something and it was really offensive, and I didn't realize it at the time, but it was really offensive, and I'm sorry." And it's those experiences that make me want to give people more chances. 
So that's where I'm like struggling with this because I'm like, right now, I really like I'm annoyed with the person. But I feel like if I talked to the person for a couple of days, I'd probably be fine. And this person would probably change the behavior. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I I feel like... um... Well, I don't think there's a right thing to do. I'm 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 pretty non-confrontational for having a show about like where I encourage people to confront the injustices <laughs> they see. I'm actually um working on getting better at that, but um I feel like the advice I would give you is uh yeah, you definitely should call them out and say, "Hey, you know, you're this these these aren't quite the answers that I'm looking for. You know, I'm I'm looking for the technical explanation here. I can keep up. Like this is a thing I do every day. Um but would I do that myself? No, I would I would probably <laughs> feel really judgmental. Um uh but I think that it's an unfortunate reality that um we are still in a stage where women are assumed to be you know, if you're in the room, you're like maybe the project manager or, you know, you're, you're in marketing or, you know, whatever, just because you're a woman. And I think that we still, we still have to reset expectations for people. Um, and that's not okay. I'm not saying that's okay, but I think it's kind of reality right now. Right. And it's the way, like it's a way it's the way we can change things or a way we can change things is by saying, Hey, look, your, your notion of who or what I am is patently incorrect. And I can tell that because you're treating me as though I don't know what Git is. And this is something that I use every day and I am, you know, proficient at it. I am not proficient at it. I am horrible with Git, but (laughs) I do use it every day, (laughs) you know, but, but I think that's, that's where we are right now. And it sucks. Yeah, it's a little, it's weird. It's just, I, I'm never good at like figuring out where that line is because sometimes I will call people out and they, you know, won't talk to me for a long time or act like I was overreacting or whatever. Even I talked about this experience with a bunch of people and the reactions were very varied. Like, oh no, that person would probably talk like that to me. Like, okay, sure. Maybe. I have no idea right. or, Oh, you're overreacting to that. That person probably wasn't doing anything. And I was like, okay, maybe I am. I'm not really sure. I'm just trying to figure it out. So I think what it comes down to for me is, and, and I'm going to use a really technical word here. If it felt icky to you, it wasn't okay. <laughs> yeah. And it is not okay that they acted that way and they need to know that's, yeah. that's kind of what it boils down to for me, whatever their intention was, it wasn't, they weren't presenting it well for the context of the situation. And, you know, and it's not, I don't think that it's your responsibility to be like, oh yeah, this was totally me because it wasn't <laughs> like it, yeah. it wasn't. Um, and so I guess, you know, my advice to you, whether I would do it or not would be, you know, you, if something's making you feel bad, the only way someone else is going to know that's happening is if you tell them. Yeah, no, that's completely fair. It, it's it is hard. It's something I yeah. struggle with because I'm like, do I tell them? Do I not tell them? Because I've definitely had the bad experiences of like telling someone something and then them getting angry or whatever. Mm-hmm. And even recently, like uh, with my like, I rec- we were talking about this earlier, but I 
recently had a blog post and I used the word elderly and a lot of people were, were very, uh, sent me a lot of messages saying why they thought that was not an okay word to use. And I feel like there's a lot of stages you go through and I didn't really realize this until like earlier today when I was driving home, but like at first I was kind of angry. I'm like, no, I didn't do anything wrong. Mm -hmm. And then I was in denial a little bit like, Oh, what are you talking about? This didn't really happen. I was kind of confused and, (laughs) you know, like, and then I felt like I was the worst person in the world. How dare I do something like this? And there are a lot of stages of it. And so Mm -hmm. it's, it's hard to gauge what stage somebody will be in and Mm -hmm. how to navigate their feelings and your feelings at the same time. Mm -hmm. In I think the other thing too is you are not responsible for the way other people feel. Um, when you, I mean, yeah, if you're being like blatantly abusive or whatever, that that's totally on you. But as a result, like if you're saying, you know, the way you're talking to me right now is offensive and they get angry, that's their problem. You know, yeah. if you're being abusive toward them and they get angry, that's different, you know, but in these right. situations where it's like, hey, this situation is making me uncomfortable or the way you're talking to me is making me uncomfortable. You know, it's it's on them how they react to that. And it's just it's hard for me to always remember that because mm-hmm. it's easy. I guess it's easy to care so much about somebody else's feelings while you're feeling very hurt. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I feel very hurt. They hurt like hurt me or whatever. I don't want them to feel awkward too. Mm-hmm. So I get I stuck in that travel. Like, I don't want them to feel bad too. I guess I'll just feel bad. I'll be the only one. You know, I think that's the trap of being an empathetic person. Yeah, for um, sure. Is, is, you know, cause I am too. And I, I take on other people's stress and that's, you know, that's something I need to work on. Oh yeah. I know. I definitely understand that. I thought you might. <laughs> well, Nima, is there anything else you want to talk about today? No, this is great. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Oh, I had such a good time talking to you. Um, where can people find you online? So I'm Team Neem on Twitter, T-E-A-M-N-E-E-M. And I have a blog that I post in weekly, memesarah.com. And those links will be in the show notes. You can find the show on Twitter at less than or equal. If you have feedback, suggestions for guests, or would like to be a guest, please go to less than or equal.com and fill out the contact form. If you have a few minutes, it'd be wonderful if you'd leave a review or star rating on iTunes or tell your friends about the show. Thanks for listening. Until next time on an internet near you, I'm Aline Sims for less than or equal.